0: Today's Bible reading, there are three today. First is from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Our second reading is from Isaiah chapter 53 verses 3 to 5. He was despised and rejected by mankind,
1: Good morning everyone. Uh, My name is Steve, I'm one of the pastors here and welcome to Paramount Baptist if you're visiting. Uh, It's that time of the year, isn't it, where it's everything Christmas. We are going to Christmas parties, we are writing Christmas cards, we are putting up Christmas trees, we are watching Christmas lights, eating lots of Christmas food or maybe not quite yet. But it is that time where it's everything Christmas. You're even listening to a Christmas sermon today if you didn't know at Christmas, the centre of it is actually Christ. And that's what we talk about. This is what we think about. This is what we remember, how God became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the very centre of Christmas. And so we talk about who Jesus was. We talk about what Jesus did. We talk about why he came. Last week, Travis began by talking about how Jesus was born for joy. And this morning, I want to talk about how Jesus was born for peace. I think for me, peace is an elusive thing. It's a slippery thing. Peace in this world is hard to find. Does anybody else experience that or is it just me? Peace in this world is hard to find and peace in this world is hard to hold on to. There is a sense in which there is so much around us that actually seeks to rob us of the peace that we are given. So, just very quickly, with somebody next to you, just what are some of the things, maybe two or three things, that you feel robs your peace or robs? others of peace. You don't need to admit about yourself if you don't want to. But what are some of the things that rob us of our peace? Just, I'll give you 30 seconds, a minute, maybe. Max, go for it. <laughs> Hopefully a reasonably easy question to come up with lots of answers. What are some of the things people said rob us of our peace? anxiety. Anybody else say that? Stress, stress yeah. Watching the, Watching the news. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like, And particularly at the moment, it's interesting. The drought is so severe on so many parts of the country, but in Sydney, we're still quite isolated from it, apart from we can't water our gardens like we would like to. And yet, I think we feel the stress of the news cycle, don't we? The headlines of the drought and, and the bushfires, which just render us completely powerless. Yeah, I, I think there is a greater anxiety and a loss of peace in our society at the moment because of those things. Yeah, what else robs us of peace? Sin. That's a very broad one, isn't it? Yeah. Selfishness. Selfishness. Sorry, there's one up here somewhere. Disappointment, Disappointment, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? What robs us? Depression. Depression. Yeah. So there are things from outside and there are things from inside. Were you going to say something? Comparison. Comparison, yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah, comparing ourselves to others. We lose a sense of peace about who we are because we're not doing as well as somebody else. So there are things from outside that rob us of our peace, things that, in a sense, we have no control over. And there are things also within us, our attitudes that we carry, that rob us of the peace that we have. Do you know when Paul writes to the churches how he starts his letters? Every single one of Paul's letters starts, there it is, yeah. Do you know? What are the words? <laughs> Grace and peace. There's always grace and peace in there. Every one of the letters to the churches, he starts with grace and peace. And most of them go like this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts these letters because it reflects the conviction of Paul as well as the early church that we are recipients of these two things. The first thing that we have received from the father is grace this undeserved favor this undeserved love that is poured out to us so there's grace but alongside that is peace there's a sense in which grace the father has poured into our lives and into our hearts peace grace and peace to you where does it come from God the father and from the Lord Jesus Christ six weeks ago I spoke about peace but it was in the context of the one another's peace ...with one another, living in harmony with one another. It's a little bit different where I want to... ...you'll be pleased to know it's quite different from where I want to go this morning... ...as we talk about the peace that is given to us. But the word in the New Testament, the Greek word... ...I don't know if you remember what the Greek word was. It was actually a a name. Irene. And it has this beautiful relational sense of what peace is. So peace is not an absence of conflict... Peace is not just an absence of war or anything like that, how we would describe peace. Peace is intensely relational. And this word Irene captures in it a sense of a relationship with God, a deep relationship with God as well as a deep relationship with others. And this is how Paul uses this word, grace and peace. And it reflects a Jewish understanding, a Paul's understanding as a Jew, but also most of the early church, the very early church, this understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, and that the Messiah would bring peace. This is what comes out of the passages that Hugh read to us from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. That's really weighty, isn't it, my goodness? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A bit later in Isaiah, it speaks again of the Messiah saying he was despised, rejected by mankind, man of suffering, familiar with pain. And then coming to the end of just that little section, the prophecy says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. What an incredible prophecy! The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And then the passage from Zechariah, which we probably know best from the New Testament, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem just prior to his crucifixion. He is welcomed as a king, and these words are spoken around that event. Zechariah writes, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey and then these beautiful words about how jesus comes how the king comes into jerusalem i will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken he will proclaim peace to the nation you see the messiah the christ that god reveals to both isaiah and zechariah is one who comes bringing peace It is not a peace imposed on the people of Israel. It is a peace that comes out of his humility and out of his self-giving. And these prophecies, we proclaim and we declare, as the early church did, are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We read them and we go, that is incredible. 600 years before Jesus comes, this is what is said about him. They are fulfilled in him. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, but he comes not as, as like a mighty warrior he comes as one who brings healing, who brings salvation through his suffering, through his body being broken for us. He's a humble Saviour who, in contrast to the brutality that was so much part of the Roman peace, instead does away with, has nothing to do with the instruments of war, the chariots, the war horses, and the bows. And he proclaims peace. When the followers of Jesus Christ wrote about Jesus and when they spoke about him, they referred to these prophecies and their conviction was that Jesus Christ came for, was born for, peace, to bring peace to us. And Jesus himself speaks of the peace that he gives to his followers. Just prior to his death in the upper room, Jesus is teaching them and telling them what is going to happen. And in John 14... It says, toward the end of the chapter, All this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And then these beautiful words he speaks over his disciples just before he's about to be taken away for death. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus continues to speak with them in the upper room. And when we get to John chapter 16, again, there's this passage where he says, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You get that? In me, he says, in Jesus, you may have peace. But then he goes on to say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, the peace that Jesus speaks about, the peace that Jesus gives, is not a peace that removes us from trouble and hardship. It is not a peace that insulates us against anxiety and grief. He speaks of a peace that remains, a peace that is given and remains despite our circumstances. As I look through the Gospels of Jesus Christ, as I look at his life, as I look at the words in which he speaks, there are three things about the peace that Jesus brings that I actually just want to bring to us this morning. The first is this, that the peace that Jesus brings is a peace that comes from knowing that you belong to God. The peace that Jesus brings is a peace that comes from knowing that you belong, that you belong to God. See, this is the big question in Jesus' day and before and after, who belongs to God? Who belongs to the kingdom of God? Who's going to make it in? And there was some fairly clear teaching back in the time of Jesus about who would make it in. Who would make it into the kingdom of God, according to the common thinking? The good people, the righteous people, and obviously the people whom God has blessed. How do you know who is blessed by God? Well, the people who are blessed by God are healthy. And so no sick people will make it into the kingdom. The people that God blesses are wealthy. And so no poor person... make it into the kingdom of God you see the kingdom of God belongs to the good people, the one whom God obviously loves and obviously blesses and into this context comes Jesus and he turns it completely upside down, you understand that right Jesus tells a series of parables about the kingdom and in so many of these parables it speaks about who makes it into the kingdom and Jesus says anyone, anyone who has the faith to actually accept the invitation of the king makes it into the kingdom. So there's a, a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 22. And it's a parable of a king who has a son. And it's his son's wedding. And the king invites all the A-listers at the time. The good people in a sense. The rich people. The people whom God has blessed. The Kardashians are there. You know, who else? The Beckhams have got to be there. Elton John will be singing at the wedding, obviously. Like it's, it's the A-list of the Jewish well they're not that old I understand right but you understand what I mean they're the good people the the prominent people the ones everybody knows and looks up to and think oh they're such good people I wish I was like them they're the people who Jesus says well they were invited but they chose not to come and so what does the king do he says well my wedding's going ahead anyway so I want you and he talks to his servants go out and invite whoever you can Invite anybody who will come, and they go out. And it says they not only invited the good people, but they invited bad people. I'm not sure you can equal, you know, easily divide people into good or bad. You, know, you can choose which one you are, aren't we, a bit of both. But anyway, it says they went out. In other words, they invited everyone, the good and the bad, and they came. You see, Jesus tells these parables. And that was just one of them. And the message of the parables is very clear. Don't think that the kingdom of God is limited to the healthy, the wealthy, and the, and the well-to-do. The kingdom of God is open to all who have faith, to all who hear the call of the Father, who hear the call of the King to come and respond in faith. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 We spoke about this passage when we were tracking through the book of Ephesians earlier this year. But just very quickly, he's speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to you and I. He says, remember that at that time, speaks about in the past, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God, but now in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, we have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. A bit further on his purpose was to create in himself. One new humanity. Out of the two thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death the hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away. That's us. Us who were far away. And he preached peace to those you see there is a peace that jesus brings that comes from knowing that you belong that you belong to the kingdom of god now one of my longest serving friendships is not a way to put it i don't know i've known this I've, we've known each other since we were teenagers and my friend he was different he, he wasn't the stereotypical adolescent male he was slight in build still is slight in build he had no ability for sport and he had no desire to have any ability for sport and still doesn't, had no interest at all. And so there was a whole lot of very male things in a sense that you've got to understand this is back in the 80s and the 90s, he, he just felt very excluded from. He had no interest in sport, he had no interest in cars. The things that he was interested in, other guys weren't interested in, he was interested in art, he was interested in classical music, in creativity, uh, he did calligraphy, he didn't really belong to a lot of the groups within our youth group, within our church. And he carried that sense for quite some time. About 10 years ago, he found his birth mother. And that was a, a great experience for him, but his father was much harder to find. But I met up with him about a year ago, and he told me the story that he had tracked down his birth father. Birth father was extraordinarily surprised and so excited to find him because. My friend is actually his only biological son, or child at all. But what my friend said to me, he says, I feel like I've found where I belong, because my father showed me a photo of himself as a teenager, and I felt like I was looking at myself. He said, and you'll never guess what my father did, and I said, well, it's got to be something creative and in the arts, isn't it? He goes, he travelled with ballet companies, He danced in ballet companies in Europe, in Australia, in South Africa, in America. And he continues to teach ballet. He said, I finally feel like I know why I am who I am. I feel like I belong. You see, when we know where we belong and who we belong to, it brings great joy. But also with that comes great peace. The peace that Jesus brings to us is a peace that comes from knowing where we belong We belong in the kingdom. We belong to the Father. The second aspect of the peace that Jesus brings, it's a peace that comes from knowing that we're forgiven. I don't know if there is a bigger load that we can carry throughout life than the the load of guilt and shame, that where there is something that has happened or something that continues to happen that just weighs on us, just the, the weight of that shame. But there is a peace that Jesus brings, a peace that comes when we know forgiveness. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes to the house of a guy called Simon, who's a Pharisee, and they have dinner. They're reclining at a table. Jesus' feet would have been tucked out behind him. And into the house, if you know this story, comes a woman. A woman with a really bad reputation. She's referred to not by name, but, but, but as the sinful woman. And she comes to Jesus' feet while he's at the table, with all the the Pharisees, the good people, there at the table, and she weeps and she wets his feet uh, with her tears. She wipes his feet with her hair. She then, very embarrassingly for everybody who was there, except I think Jesus, begins to kiss his feet at the table. Put yourself in that context. That would be strange, would it not? And then she anoints his feet with perfume. And Simon the Pharisee is disgusted. Not only has a woman come and interrupted the domain of the, of the good men of the society and having a, sharing a meal, but she has just touched Jesus. She has performed these acts upon his feet and he is disgusted. And it, surely this man who knows who this woman is. And, and Jesus goes on to tell a parable about forgiveness. Somebody owes 500 days wages, somebody owes 50. Who, who, who loves more? But at the very end of this, Jesus turns to the woman and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests around the table say to themselves, and I imagine with some offence, who is this man who even forgives sins? And then Jesus just thinks he's blessing over the woman. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, there is a peace that comes from the knowledge that we are saved that we are forgiven and that it comes from grace alone. Peace comes from understanding grace. Peace comes from understanding that our forgiveness is a gift given to us. It's a peace that comes because we're not trying to compare ourselves with other people. We're not trying to compete with others. We're not trying to strive to be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. We're not left wondering whether we're good enough to belong. There is a peace that comes from the knowledge of grace, from the knowledge that we are forgiven, that we are forgiven despite our failures and that we are given peace instead of guilt, peace instead of shame. The peace that Jesus brings is a peace that comes with the knowledge of grace, with the knowledge that we are forgiven. And the third thing I just want to say is that the peace that Jesus brings is a peace that is found in trusting Now, many of you know that I was born in New Zealand. I still have a great love for New Zealand, and we both now have relatives over there, so we visit now and then. One of the things that we have done on occasion is hopped into a jet boat. As you understand, New Zealand has rivers. The reason why New Zealand has rivers is because it rains, and it rains a lot, and they have a lot of the snow-fed rivers as well. And if if you've seen a, a photo of the New Zealand rivers, they are basically quite shallow, broad as anything and filled with rocks and possibly going through canyons. And so it's a lot of fun to hop into a very fast boat and get thrown around in the middle of them. Anybody else done it? Oh, look at you all. You understand where I'm going with this. Like, have you not thought about this as the craziest thing that you ever do? it's a thrill isn't it the speed what are they doing three four and a half thousand k's an hour or something (laughs) down the river uh you're traveling through something about this wide and the boat's that wide and they still manage to get it through they pull up the rock is here and you can just reach out and touch it when they just break and swivel around you kind of go this is the stupidest thing i've ever done you do that for the first 15 seconds then you go oh this is amazing (laughs) you see there's an amazing trust element in this But the reason we trust is because of two things. One is we trust the person who's driving the boat knows the boat. They know how it feels, they handle it, they know exactly how long it takes before it can actually stop. They know everything about the boat and they know how to handle it. But the other thing about why we trust the person who's driving the boat is because they know the river. They know where all the rocks are. They know what's around the curve. And so it doesn't matter if they're belting around the cave. They know exactly what's going to be there because they know the river. I think the analogy works. But I want us to understand that we have a saviour who knows his boat and who knows the river ahead. You see, the thing about Christmas is we celebrate that God became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by he knows the boat. He knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to be human. He understands that there are times of anxiety and and stress where there are concerns that come externally upon us, but there are also things from within us that weigh upon us, that rob us of our joy. He understands the boat. He understands who we are. But see, our Saviour also knows the river. We can't see it, but he knows what's in the future. He knows what's around the corner. He knows what's coming. You know, you love the way that he speaks to his disciples and he says, you know, peace, I live with you. Oh, by the way, there's troubles coming. Are you going to leave me all alone? But it's okay because my father is with me. He knows the boat and he knows the river. Uh, I think where we see this remarkably well is is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we just see the, the incredible humanity of Jesus as he faces the prospect of crucifixion. And he's overwhelmed with a sense of distress and grief. But what does he do? He goes to prayer. He goes into the presence of his Father and he prays, not my will but yours be done. He trusts his Father. In John chapter 14, Jesus starts off this chapter. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And it's at the end of that chapter that we read earlier where he says peace i leave with you my peace i give you i do not give you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid he comes back to that again the peace that jesus brings is a peace that is found in trusting Paul in Philippians 4 puts it this way. He says rejoice in the Lord always. This link between joy and peace. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not always easy to trust. I know that. It's not always easy to find peace. I know that. And it's not always easy to hold on to the peace that we're given. There are times, and there have been times for me this year, where a sense of despair or anxiety and grief just, just threaten to overwhelm. You understand? There are times when we experience that. But what I want to say this morning is that Jesus, our Saviour and our King, understands this. He knows the boat and he knows the river. There is a peace that we are given that comes from remembering that we belong, even though our circumstances make us feel like we don't. There is a peace that comes when we remember grace that we remember that we are forgiven, even at those times where we feel the weight of guilt and shame upon us. And there is a peace that comes from remembering that more important than the perfection of my faith is the perfection of the one in whom I have faith. Do you understand the difference? More important than the perfection of my faith is the perfection of the one in whom I have faith even if at times my faith is so small. Let me pray for us. So can I just ask you to to stand? And I just want to pray a blessing over us all. So Father, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus Christ. You came to us. You lived as one of us and you showed us how to live. Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we know that we belong that it's not about how good we are, but simply the goodness of your grace that brings us into your kingdom. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness which is given to us so freely. And Father, we thank you also that you are trustworthy. And so, Father, this morning I just want to pray that we would experience and know this Christmas your peace in our lives. Father, that we would experience peace within ourselves. Where there is anxiety and worry and striving, Lord, that we would have a sense of your peace. Father, I pray for peace within our families. And Lord, especially at this time of year, just where the expectations can be so high, I pray that there would be that grace given to each other, that forgiveness offered to one another, that there would be peace within our families. Father, may there be peace within our workplaces uh, just in the stress and the busyness of all that needs to be done. But Father, would there also be that peace just within our hearts and our minds? Father, would you cut through the busyness and the demands upon our lives, the expectations that are either put upon us by ourselves or by others? Would you cut through and remind us of the peace that is given to us in Jesus Christ? So we ask for your blessing, that blessing of grace and peace may be in abundance over all of us through this season. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.